We're starting a bit late, so does that mean we go on a little bit? We get the full. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, if, you, if any of you came to the event we did yesterday, Andrew, me and Andrew, um, you'll know that we met 13 years ago in, this, uh, in a 14th century signal tower in the wooded hills east of Florence. And it's one of the, one of the perks of being a writer is, is we sometimes get on, sent on these writers' retreats to wonderful places. The downside of that is you don't always know what kind of writers you're going to end up with when you're there and you're going to have to spend the next three weeks with. Um, Andrew actually really needed me to arrive because he was... He'd so been it was six weeks, it was six weeks. It, but, yeah. you, but you'd been there for two weeks already oh, okay, with yeah. the Baroness, you know, the Baroness who runs the writer's retreat being an extraordinarily glamorous but slightly demanding woman. <laughs> and, and Andrew drove too slowly yeah. for her. <laughs> yes. he, he was asked to drive her to restaurants and, um, you know, he was actually... He was struggling a bit. Well, she lived at the top of this kind of mountain with yeah. hairpin bends, you know, and she wanted me to go down at 60 or something, you know, and, and I thought that's not a good idea. Well, you'd never driven on yeah. the wrong side of the road yeah, exactly. before. exactly. Everything was wrong about it, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, it was very odd. The moment I met Andrew, um, we, we got on. I mean, we ate together, we drank together, we were in the same tower, as I said. We were working one above the other. Um, I would go to swim in the middle of the day, and... Um, Oddly, the Baroness would watch me swimming up and down. And I came out of the pool one day. You know, she'd be in there in the turban and the robes in her sort of bathhouse watching me. I got out of the pool one day and she said, you swim even more than Rafe finds. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that was, I, it was a compliment, I guess. I, I would go and I would go back from the pool house and I, um, from the pool and I would go into the signal tower and I'd climb up the stairs, and as I passed where Andrew was, Andrew had the second floor, um, I was slightly naughty because I would pause <laughs> you, you and listen, listen to at door. his door. <laughs> to see if, and it was always, the yeah. first few days, it was absolute silence, and I thought, oh my God, I can almost hear the concentration. Um, and um, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's extraordinary. I hadn't read any of his books at that point. Um, and in fact, I didn't read any until... I left that place, and I liked him so much that I actually had a kind of trepidation about um, what if I didn't like his books. I mean, this happens sometimes as a writer. You, you meet someone, you, you get to really like sure. them, and then, sure. and then the book kind of not, don't like it quite as much as the person. <laughs> and um, fortunately, I, I, I read Casanova, which I think was... Um, Andrew's most recent book at that time, and, and found it absolutely brilliant. And I mean, Andrew, if you haven't read him yet, is, 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 the, is the author of these um, incredibly powerful but subtle novels. Um, he, he, he manages to combine exquisite craft with um, a real poetic sensibility. Um, he's one of those writers that you can read for the sheer pleasure of the sentences. Um, and I think he's written, you've written seven novels up mm. to now, right? Um, I mean, most of those seem to have been short, either shortlisted for major prizes or, or won them. Um, Pure, as I'm sure you, most of you know, won the Costa Novel of the Year Award. Um, it also got included in The Observer's 10 Best Historical Novels of All Time, I think, <laughs> along with um, Penelope Fitzgerald's the Blue, the Blue Flower, Giuseppe di Lampedusa's The Leopard, Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall, and uh, 
Tolstoy's War and Peace. <laughs> it's right. not too shabby, that company. <laughs> Um, love it, love it. Yeah. I, I, we're going to talk about um, Andrew's latest uh, novel, The Crossing, but I, I was curious, um, you, you, you kind of wanted me to mention the fact that Pure had been included in that list, and I, was wondered, I, I wondered why that was uh, important to you. Why was it why important? It meant, why it well, meant... actually, I think it just put me in company that I, that I wanted to be in. Um, obviously, Tolstoy. Tolstoy character. <laughs> actually, Tolstoy, I know, sort of, yeah... I'm, I'm reading Anna Karenin at the moment, and it's, it's a kind of, it's uphill work sometimes. Um, but Penelope Fitzgerald, actually, I turned you on to Penelope Fitzgerald's um, book, The uh, Beginning of Spring, do you mm. remember? Mm. Um, but she's, she, some of you will know Penelope Fitzgerald's work, and she's, uh, she's no longer uh, with us now, but uh, she's uh, a remarkable writer whose last kind of, she, she didn't start writing fiction until she, quite late on in her life, I think she might have been around 60, um, and did sort of 20 years uh, of, of writing uh, fiction, and in the last part of that wrote um, four or five historical novels, um, and, and uh, uh, the last one being The Blue Flower, which I s went to her an event, I went uh, and saw her read from that, and it's, um, that's an astonishing book, and uh, so, yeah, just like, to be with her, to be with, Lam you know, to be uh, with uh, Giuseppe Lampedusa, uh, you know, mm. the, the, the Leopard, the which some of you will know. And I think for the people who know that book, it's always among their kind of top ten mm. favorites. It's a kind of a book to fall in love with completely. Um, so I just, perhaps that's the thing that I like about, you know, I, I remain, you know, a reader first um, and... You know, that's all, all writers are readers first. And so it's to be, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a groupie, really. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. That's, you said, so I remember I'm just when, in, yeah, when we were yeah. in the tower, you said mm -hmm. that um, uh, when you went to the Fitzgerald event, that, that she sort of uh, at some point mentioned mm -hmm. other people who wanted to become writers. And you were sitting at the back and she sort of, you, you caught her eye and you held her gaze <laughs> for a moment as if you were, well, something was passing I like to imagine yeah. that was what happened. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was possibly the only male at this reading, certainly the only one sort of uh, uh, under the age of whatever. Um, and so uh, when she looked around, she had she was one of those women. I don't know. She, you could easily uh, just not notice her at all uh, until you caught her eyes, and then boy, you just stayed right where you were. She had a very uh, sense of an intelligence coming towards you. Um, and knowing you somehow was very powerful. Um, and she did this kind of quick glance down the rows and just hesitated for a moment. And I hadn't published anything at that point, but I thought that was recognition of my secret writerly yes. soul. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I was very grateful to her. <laughs> Bless her. It's like uh, she knew yeah. you were, it was, one of, it was another one. I like to feel that, that yeah, yeah, I'd like to feel, I'd like to feel that was true. It may not be the case at all. She, she said that um, wonderful mm. thing um, when she won, the, she won the National Book Critics mm. Circle Award, I think, in, in America in mm. 1998 for The Blue Flower. And, and they, they asked her um, how she was going to celebrate. And she said, well, probably won't do any ironing that day. <laughs> it's just sort of summed her up for me perfectly yeah. somehow. That, that, yeah. kind of, that kind of modesty and, and uh, understatement. And yeah. 
It's in her but writing. She, she knew what was what, you know, and, and uh, yeah. Well, you, you have uh, something yeah. of the same. I, I think you do have something of the same because, you know, people always say, Penelope Fitzgerald, that, that she, they read her books. Even people who are sort of perceived of as master writers read her novels and say, how did she do that? Because mm. she le seems to leave all kinds of spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's difficult to gauge. You know, sometimes we read books, don't we, for tech? How, how did... Do you read books like that? I mean, to, to learn about how things are done? Um, I think you're always on the kind of, on the key vive, you know, you're always, you're always uh, want, you know, you're always hoping to mm. learn something. And sometimes you do. I mean, we talked yesterday about James Salter a little bit. This is an American writer. Some of these nodding your heads, you know him. Um, in his book, Light Years, if you, you know, if all that people teach on MAs and creative writing, you know, Light Years just doesn't do any of it, really. And, and, and you know, I, I, between paragraphs, you don't know, do we just, did we just lose a couple of years then, or, or a month, or a, where mm. are we now? And at some points, he seems to walk into the room and just point things out to you and, and say, have a look at her. Look at how she is now. Mm. And, and all this stuff that, it's confidence, of course. It's, it's, it's confidence and just being in love with the material. Um, that allows him to do it, but it's it's uh, it's a remarkable thing. So yeah, I, I I read and learn, but I don't I don't go about it too dryly. I mean, I just kind of read as I always yeah. have, just for the love of it. You know, it's. Uh, How, mm. Can I can I um, go right back to the beginning? Not your birth, obviously, but how did you? I mean. How did you become a writer? When did that really begin? I mean, what was the was there a trigger for you becoming a writer, or was it a gradual thing? Well, the, the, the trigger is um, was other was other writers. I mean, as, as I guess it is for for, for all of us. Um, I particularly I was 18, 17, 18, and I've been reading Lawrence, D. H. Lawrence, for my A levels, and uh, and the Rainbow particularly, um, and. And I remember finishing the rainbow. You know, it has this great rush of energy at the end of the rainbow, um, and and I it actually pushed me out of my chair. You know, I was in my bedroom at home, and I so I stood up. And it was a sort of uh, the room was I remember full of sunlight. Anyway, it was a kind of the, the setting was there for a, sort of an epiphany, and and I stood up and I thought, um, this is this is what else could you do with your life that could be better than this? That would be. I remember thinking it would be like a noble thing to do with your how old, life. How old were you? I was, I was 18, mm. 17, 18. I can't remember, maybe just 18. Um, and Lawrence does that, I think, for young writers uh, and for young, just young readers. I mean, he just, because he makes the novels, the telling of stories feel, um, you know, you, you don't think this is just entertainment. This, this, is, this, this matters. This is, um, this is how lives will be transformed. This is how your life will be changed. And I think he does that. And I think it's, it was, for me, it was like my politics as well as anything else. It, was, it mm. wasn't just about writing a novel or wouldn't that be nice to write a novel or something. This was about how you might engage with, with, with life, with your own world. Uh, and, and Also about the transforming of experience. Absolutely, and absolutely. And Lawrence has that effect, I think. And, and I, he's kind of slightly fallen out of favor, perhaps, I don't know. Um, he's easy to poke holes in somehow. Um, and people can be, you know, T.S. Eliot, people are quite snooty about mm, it, you know, mm. has to write often or to write well sometimes, you know, and, and, and you know, sort of seven out of 10, but whatever. But, but he's, uh, I still feel fiercely sort of protective of him, and I think he's still a treasure. And I, and I, I would, um, 
happily tweak the nose he's, he's looking would. down happy that you're protecting <laughs> him spoke because uh, uh, he lived in Cornwall for a, a while didn't he yeah but it's yeah. a romantic notion yeah. isn't it yeah. I mean at that age uh, being a writer and, and um, yeah it's it's almost more at that I, I almost feel it's more um, about being a writer at that point because rather than actually writing you know, yes. this, this romantic notion of being one, because you're not quite sure, you don't realise quite how much hard work is going to be involved. You don't, and, and actually, uh, Kashi Shiguru, I remember talking about this at a, at a festival in Bath, um, and s saying, uh, with, with young uh, people who, who come to him and say they want to be a writer, he says, do you want to be a writer or do you want to write? Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. It's kind of, it's not necessarily the same thing. Um, and actually, uh, in the end, you have to be someone who wants to write. Well, I tend to use the <laughs> yeah. verb rather than the noun, rather yeah. than the noun, yeah. even now. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. still think, I still like to say um, I write rather than I'm yeah. a writer. Yeah, yeah. Because, because it's also an active thing, it's yeah. ongoing, you know. I think it's important that right, yeah. writing, you know, it, it is, it's, it's an active, it is a, you know, it's a verb, as you say, and, and, mm. it, and it's, um, and although we sit still <laughs> when we do it, um, you know, the, I sense we, we sort of steam like a kettle uh, a little bit, and, um, and, and should do, and I often, you know, and also people feel it's done just with their head. I think it's done with the whole body. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think writers are quite physical people, actually. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah. I sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, you come home from a day's work and uh, you say, you're, you're exhausted and you're, you're, almost, you're emotionally exhausted, but also kind of somehow oddly physically exhausted. You must and yet sound like special pleading, some, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but someone, someone there are farmers who, out there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, ploughing fields. Uh, no, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you yeah. know, they say, you know, but you've just been sitting in a chair all day. Yeah, but it but should be. It should be a physical. You know, I, I, and I, I think actually how you sit is, is you know, I, at least I like to start with my feet firmly on the ground. I think writers, like all artists, need to be well grounded. I think that's very important. So even mm. if I might end up in a kind of strange knot, I, I start, you know, sat. Well, with my feet on the ground. Do you yeah, balance yeah. Um, uh, Do you balance physical activity with with the writing? I mean, do you feel there's a need to, to sort of use the body as well as the mind? Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think so. What do you yeah. do? I do what I've done for many years. I do, I do martial arts. I do aikido, which is a kind of sort of hippie martial art. You know, we don't really hurt people very much, or uh, um, we try not to. And and it's uh, it's a little like judo if you don't know, but it's a quite a. Uh, we don't compete. We don't have a. We don't spar. Right. Uh, and uh, and I still somehow doing it despite the joints kind of giving up on me. But but you yeah. but has that yeah. so has physical activity always gone on hand in hand with the, with the yeah absolutely somewhere? and it teaches you I mean because actually with with doing you know doing something like Aikido doing a martial art the thing is you just turn up you mm. turn up and that's the important thing you, you you get onto the mat you get into the dojo and you do your hour or whatever it is and you don't fret too much about doing an exquisite throw mm. you just turn up and you. You go through, you, you give whatever you've got, you know. Does your mind day. sometimes float yeah. free and can you kind of also solve the problems you have back in your writing? At your writing Not desk? when I'm on the map because no, right. someone would take your head off. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So, it's, uh, so yeah. I like that about it. I like yeah. the fact you've got to stay got very to concentrated. Yeah. Um, uh, but it does, yeah, it's, it's certainly taught me um, uh, just the importance of showing up. That's kind of, in the end, if you're going to write an, uh, a novel, you know, for me to, to get a novel done, Involves going up the stairs to the attic room X number of times. You know that's that's how it's yeah. done. You know, and I have to be in that room um, for X number of hours, uh, giving whatever I've got that day, or that part of that day, to, to to the work. That's 
It's as simple as that, but it's, that's, that turns out to be a thing that requires a certain sort of stubbornness, you know. Is, yeah. it, is it the same mm. um, if, you're, if you're working on a historical novel as, as, as if you're working on, um, say, The Crossing? Yeah, it, it is. It, yeah, it, it never feels very process. different. I mean, I, I tend. I wrote two sort of historical novels. Well, Casanova to start off with, was yeah, historic, Casanova, yeah. yeah, and then Ingenious Pain before that, mm. and Pure, of course, uh, later on. So I've. But it never feels very different. The, the sort of the the work is much the same. I do as much research, or as little, or as much um, for a book set in the now, as as a book set um, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. And indeed, a, bo a book set in the now, by the time it's done, is no longer quite the now, um, which is an interesting thing in itself. I mean, and then as time goes by, I look at a book like, I don't know, Oxygen, which I wrote um, in the late 90s, uh, I think, or maybe early 2000s. And, and I can see it's very much, you know, it's, it's all the kind of little Hale Bop is mentioned, you know, the comet Hale Bop. You might remember Hale Bop. <laughs> and, and it's that very much fixes it mm. at a time mm. that is that is that is definitely not now. Mm. So I don't know. Do all books inevitably become <laughs> historical? It's what makes it so novels. difficult to write uh, the zeitgeist yeah, novel, yeah, yeah. isn't it? You know, people are always saying, "Why don't you write a zeitgeist novel?" But you yeah. you've got to actually be a clairvoyant almost because you've got to be writing about something that's happening three years in the future. Yeah. So that by the time your book comes out, you're right there. I remember the Malcolm Bradbury. I, I did an MA at UEA, and Malcolm Bradbury was one of my tutors, and he at one point sort of went around. <laughs> Perhaps quite cheekily, asking us, his students, what we thought might be going to happen. <laughs> so he could, clearly, with the idea that he could sort of get a book that would just arrive at the right time, um, and that we might know we might be somehow more in the zeit than than, than himself. But um, yeah. But but did you? But you say you do the same the same research for mm. whether it's a, you know a contemporary novel or a historical one. Um, how how does that work? The research. Do you do the research first? And then write, or do you research as you go along? How does it? Yeah, both. I mean, you do. You do. Um, with pure, you, say, what did you do? Yeah, with pure. Well, I'd already written two books set in the 18th century, mm. so like, I sort of vaguely knew my way around. I felt I did, because what you want to be able to do is, is is kind of imaginatively stand in a room, an 18th century room, and look all around and be able to see what's you know not just in front of you, but what's you know behind you as well. Um, I have to know what everyone's wearing underneath too. I have to, you know, I, I always fret about underwear. Uh, and I mean, of course, there wasn't an awful lot in the 18th century. Not in Casanova. Um, not in Casanova. <laughs> the underwear's coming off all the time. Um, such as the, so, I, I like to know um, things that would be yeah, things that would be quite intimate to people in mm. their underwear, but also their you know just um, the day-to-day -day facts of living, um, which is why diaries and letters are are, are so are so important. Um, mm. You know, and, and when I was doing. Uh, uh, I mean, with Casanova, I had all his journals, you know, I had to, mm. but um, I also remember using Boswell's London journals, uh, which, which is full, uh, bless him, of, of um, you know, what he paid at the, to the hairdressers. And, and, uh, how, yeah. do you, how do you avoid um, uh, the, the sort of, I, I, have the, I have this sort of theory about imagined facts and mm. real facts. How, you know, and, and for me, when I write a historical novel, the imagined facts are more important than the real ones. Mm. The real ones have to be the right ones. Yeah. But how do you stop all the research and all the real facts sort of deluging what you're trying to imagine? I mean, how, how do you balance that? Well, I suppose I mean, all storytelling is, is about sort of both remembering and forgetting. And so with the research, I, I do it, but I, 
I then let a lot of it just fall away. You know, I don't try and mm. memorize all this stuff. I mean, I'll make notes of what I think is important, but I often don't ever refer back to those notes. I, I, I wonder if you have the same similar experience. All that mm. stuff you do before that sits on the left-hand side mm. um, often is never referred back to, uh, and, and you just go on with a sense of, of it. You know, of, mm. I mean, in terms of the planning, in terms of research, I don't, I'm not madly like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, some things you need to get right because it just annoys the hell out of people um, to find that you've uh, made a, a, a sort of lazy error. Um, but otherwise, well, so you kind yeah. of want to do justice yeah. to history. Yeah, I mean, you, do, yeah. you want, since fiction is all about the suspension of disbelief, you know, you want actually your readers to believe it. And therefore, is yeah. it, there's an obvious mistake in the in the mm. in the historical. But its atmosphere is what yeah. matters. You it, know, you, you, cre yeah. you create yeah. a, you, you, what you need is to get a feeling. Yeah. For it, it's a kind of dreaming of. I think of things like you know Fellini's Satyricon, you know, as, as one of, for me, a kind of completely convincing evocation of a classical world, um, although it's also kind of fantastic and just kind of Fellini, uh, and a sort of circus. Some of you will know this film. Um, and what I'm looking for is to is to feel at some point, uh, a, have a convincing sense of, seventeen. 18, mm, you know. mm. so so that it's it's you know and, and the facts are kind of facts won't make up for well, that. Actually, facts as, won't as, make up as for you it, say, yeah, if yeah. if you do the atmosphere well enough, you'll mm. remove the questioning in your reader's mind anyway, because they'll yeah. be in it and they'll be feeling it yeah. and, and yeah. they'll want to believe it. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. 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 Um, how did you, so? How did you uh, you know this this eighteen year old the romant you know the, the epiphany yeah. <laughs> in the sunlight? Um, how did you get from that to ingenious pain? You know the the, the book. What was that journey like? Yeah, the first novel, Ingenious Pain, was, was a kind of... I mean, the thing about first novels is that when you're doing them, uh, you feel a bit hopeless because um, no one's waiting for this thing. No one knows you're out there doing it. Um, and yet you're giving it, the, in a sense, the best of yourself. You know, you're, you're just uh, year after year without anybody kind of, you know, who cares? Um, and... Later on, it seems rather an advantage because nobody was <laughs> calling you up and saying, isn't it about time you sent us something? Um, you have as long as you need, and I think first novels benefit greatly often from having taken about three times as long as any mm. of the rest ever take um, because there's no contracts, you know, in, in most cases. Mm. I certainly, mm. no one knew I was doing this. So I spent several years, I don't know how many years, six, seven, eight years doing this book, often just stopping because I had no idea how to go on of, of what was, um, of how this was done. I'd go, I'd go down to do the Waterstones and get the sort of, you know, how to write a novel book uh, and, and, and sort of flick through. And, and you know, I've got a, quite a collection of those, you know, Dorothy Brain and people like this, have you know. You? Right. Yeah, you know, it's, I remember she's got one of these things. She suggests that writers drink South American mate, uh, <laughs> I suppose. And, you know, the, for sort of altitude sickness or something. And, and it's, um, so I had lots of, they help maybe these books. My brother, books, actually, but, uh, my brother yeah, for Christmas yeah. last year, just, <laughs> I unwrapped my present from yeah. him. It was this book and uh, it was called How to Write English. This is after. <laughs> yeah, brothers do that though. Yeah. Think, you know, the, it's, it's always the ones closest to you who like to sort of send a little message like, mm. ha, ha, ha. You know, actually, your books are One more rubbish. thing about my brother, actually, I have to say, <laughs> is the other, the other thing he did 
brilli yeah. brilliantly recently was he, uh, we were having a drink as we sometimes do and he said oh, I've got to tell you something I've had a breakthrough I've had a realization and I said what's that Robin and he said you're going to be really famous but only after you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't resist yeah. the little look of glee, yeah. you know. There yeah. was that little enjoyment. <laughs> they do Yes, that. yes, they do. Yeah my, yeah, my brother likes to likes to sort of just call me up after a couple of bottles of wine. And um, what was the last thing he said about this book? He said, yeah, yeah, not my favorite, he said. And then, and then seamlessly went on to, with the conversation, leaving me sort of slightly kind of thinking, screw you. Um, bless him. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we yeah. should we should talk about the new one because because mm. I mean I thought um, I've only read Casanova before. Mm. Um, you know I haven't read all your things, um, but this book and I have to say I was in a way slightly dreading it because I knew it involved a voyage, a solo voyage. You know I thought oh, solo voyage that's going to be am I going to be interested in that? And, and um, of course, I had to read it because I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I started, yes. and I mm. was gripped from the word go. I mean, it's, it's a very different book at the beginning than it is at the end. It's one of those books that takes you on a really unexpected journey in every sense, even though there is a, an obvious journey in it. Um, but, but when I got to the voyage, um, we, I, I found it absolutely gripping. I couldn't stop reading at that point. And, and you know, it, what, what I thought of was, you know, people always say it's really difficult as a novelist to write uh, party scenes mm. because you're having to deal with lots of conversations and lots of characters. Very few writers do it well. I mean, Scott Fitzgerald does it amazingly well in mm. The Great Gatsby. Mm. There's a wonderful party mm. scene in that. Um, and, and you reminded me of that because you were doing the opposite. Um, it was one young woman on a boat in the middle of no, you know, on the, on the ocean. And, and I thought, God, that actually is really, really difficult to do. We haven't actually, should what? we talk about her first <laughs> before we talk about the voyage? Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, Maud Stamp is, is, is the, um, Andrew has this extraordinary heroine. I mean, she's, 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 an, she's a kind of enigma to everyone who comes across her. I think you say men look at her in a sort of, they're, they're puzzled and interested. They have both feelings about her. But um, the vicar, the, the priest who comes to see her at a certain mm. point, talks about her uh, having this gaze that predates his religion. That's quite mm. a chilling way yeah. of talking about how she looks. I mean, she's, she's an extraordinary character. And, and in a way, kind of, she's difficult, isn't she, yeah. for everybody who yeah. comes across her? Yeah. Yeah, she is. I mean, I wanted, I suppose I wanted somebody who. Um, would both be a very ordinary young woman from the most ordinary English city I could think of, which is Swindon. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to be up at the, the, the freedom of the city anytime soon, I think, um, which may not be a misfortune. Uh, but it's, it's, and she's a scientist. She's um, a completely plain young woman. She's also someone whose portrait you might find on, on a shard of pottery in a sort of Babylonian tomb or an Egyptian pyramid. She has this dual aspect, I guess, which she herself is not particularly conscious of. Um, uh, she doesn't use it or anything in that sense. She just lives, more just lives. She's quite, she's, uh, she's quite dog-like in that way. She's just a kind of presence. She just uh, is in the world and, and moves through instinctive, the world. Instinctive, you mean? Yeah, she, it's, instinctive is a good way of 
of, of, of budding it. Um, and this, uh, and she also is a heroine who has no, you know, writers often what we're doing is kind of lowering a microphone down into the darkness uh, and, and picking up uh, some kind of loquacious inner life of a character. You know, we're hearing this. And, and Maud, if you lowered the microphone down, Nothing. I don't know what you'd hear, bat squeaks and, <laughs> and, and, and what you might hear up here somewhere. Um, so there's nothing uh, very clear, she, uh, which for me was a problem because it meant I couldn't tap into lots of language that would tell us about how Maud was feeling now. In fact, I even tried to avoid, I think, saying at any point how Maud feels mm. um, in, in any conclusive way. I wanted to present her uh, and say, look at her, look at what she's doing now, and now, and now, and now, um, and hope that I could present that in a way that would make her worth looking at. Um, she's, um, and she's also someone whose reaction, she's sort of a cultural illiterate in some ways, she's, and she's drawn in through her boyfriend into a family that has a very powerful kind of culture, its own, you know, all families have their own kind of culture, and this family has its, uh, its own, and she's drawn into this, and, and then at, at, a, at a crucial moment in the book, a moment of crisis, does not react as, as they, in a sense, ex need her to, mm. and this is unendurable for some of them in the family, uh, the father particularly, and so she is kind of exiled. Uh, I felt yeah. as if you. Mm. I felt as if you were using the family, um, Tim's family, mm. as as to be sort of, as it were, ordinary people, you know, with ordinary expectations of how people are supposed to react in each situation. Yeah. Of course, you know, Maud is the Maud is sort of the, the person who, for instance, would not cry at a funeral, would she? Yeah. She she's whereas we're sort of supposed to cry at funerals. Mm. We're supposed mm. to be upset at the right moments. And, and she does not react in the right way. Yes, and, 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 it's, it's, and also the, the book is, is you know, as, as, a, as a mother, Maud is not going to be winning prizes. Um, uh, and actually, I quite enjoyed writing about a not terrifically good mother, um, partly because I seem to... Well, <laughs> um, well, as a parent myself, I kind of often feel like not a terribly good father, but... Um, also, the mothers in the school gate that I meet do seem kind of exemplary in some way, uh, in a way that I find slightly intimidating. So I quite liked having this woman who is perfectly loving in her own terms, and yet is, I mean, she struggles to play. I mean, she doesn't get play. You know, mm. when, when, she, when, when she has to be a, like a kitten with the, you know, uh, those of you who have daughters will remember going through a long phase of having to, you know, them wanting to be kittens and you having to somehow be a kitten with them, um, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. But um, Maud, yeah, Maud is, uh, uh, she just does this as though she's learned it out of a book, you know. She's sort of, she's not, she's, she, to be introduced to imaginary characters, she finds very difficult, she doesn't know what to well, make. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't yeah. have, are we allowed to give this away? She doesn't have that much time with her daughter? Yeah, that's true. Can we... Yeah. Can we say that? I mean, I don't think it's really a spoiler, is it? No. Because uh, I, I, I wanted to ask a question about that. It, what's very interesting about Andrew's book is that, so you have Tim and Maud, and mm. they have little mm. Zoe, and then, and then something happens. Um, you know, the death of the child. Um, you, it's very eerie in the book when you get to that moment, because, and this is still fairly early on, um, because you don't describe that. 
It's almost like a vacuum in the, in the novel, and everything has been sucked out. It's incredibly effective, because I think, you know, the casual reader would almost feel as if they hadn't quite understood what had happened. And that, of course, is also what you'd feel if you were in that situation yourself, dealing with it, I think, you know, that, that inability mm, mm, to understand. Mm, mm. Um, how, and then I read something you said, and you, uh, in, in an interview somewhere, you said that you couldn't actually bring yourself to write that scene anyway. No. You felt that you'd be putting people close to you in jeopardy, you were having crazy thoughts. Um, oh. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Well, of course, it's with what you were saying yesterday about, uh, does what we write come true? <laughs> Um, and it worried me for a long time, uh, this. I mean, now, now we've said what, what this is. Um, um, when I wrote Oxygen um, some years ago, I had a, there's a mother in it who is very ill. Um, and shortly thereafter, my own mother became very ill. And my brother, <laughs> the great critic on the phone, you know, um, <laughs> said... Uh, he, he, well, he, he almost accused me of somehow contributing to this uh, mm. by, by having written about it, which is, mm. which, which is a kind of crazy thought. Um, it's as if you've implicated yourself. Yeah, right. but when it came to writing about a child who maybe came to harm, um, mm. I, I had to be very careful and arrange things in a way. I found myself thinking in very odd ways, and, and I had to, for example, make sure the child was uh, younger than my own. <laughs> Uh, right. So, so, uh, so, so removing, my child removing had already, the fictional character from gone yeah. past that stage, yes, yes. and I even wrote. Um, I don't know, it's easy to say, but I wrote a kind of counter story, um, which you know, just oh, for myself, really? which really? Um, in which a child comes to no harm at all. So um, you wrote the yeah. same scene as it, the same part of the novel, or, or um, something? No, separate? something quite something, different. Something but, different. But, but, but uh, just to sort of balance it out. Um, that's but yeah, it, it did. It did concern me. That's never occurred to yeah. me to write the counter story. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I mean, and one could think, hearing this, perhaps it does just sound like, well, that's just magical thinking, and and that's not how things work. And I kind of agree with that because it's not. I've mm. written many things that simply have not happened. You know, uh, it, it, so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I think of all the different mothers and fathers I've written about, you know, that they're. they're you know, I've had such a range no of predictions them, and, and, yeah. and so I do think we, we need to be careful to, and yet what clearly, what is written and, 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 and the world are not separate things, otherwise uh, we couldn't read anything and it wouldn't make any sense yeah. to us. So, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a thing that I, uh, I fretted about for a, for, a, for a long time, and it's certainly anything too close to it, I, I went around. So, yeah. so you really, did you, yeah. so you spent a, yeah. actually a, a lot of time thinking about that particular bit. Yeah. It, it, it is, it's kind of, as I say, it's, like, it's got a kind of extraordinary hollowness. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you read on past it, uh, but you're actually taking it with you, mm, that, mm, that, mm, that mm. eerie feeling. Yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. It, it works very effectively, I think. Um, you, you also, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the end, but you have said that you also wrote several different endings for this book, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. Because the end, the end is... The last 50 pages of the book are very, very unexpected. I mean, I was really... I, I'm sort of known as somebody who writes unexpected things. I really wasn't expecting what you did there. Mm. And, and, it, and, it, and yet, and it's very atmospheric, it's very dreamlike. Was, was that always where the book was going? Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, I, the, the book, the, bare, the barest bones of the book fell to me in a space of maybe three minutes 
as a, Can you I talk said, about that a bit? Yeah, sure. And did Maude arrive yeah. then as well? Um, no, you know what? She didn't. She, she, um, I, 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 I didn't see her until a little bit later. Mm. Um, what came to me were four or five of the kind of key moments of the book, maybe three or four, um, as I was sort of sat in my pajamas at my desk um, uh, at home. And, um, and I scribbled it down, mm. and there it was, the, a little paragraph uh, that contained these few things. And I completely trusted the way it had arrived. Mm. Um, I think we're, we'd, we'd all because agree that, things yeah, had arrived yeah. that way before. Well, things had arrived that way before, yeah. and I think a certain amount of any book simply has to be received. Mm. You know, it's, you mm. can plan, you can, you can plot out, you can do all that sort of stuff uh, that is, you know, conscious and willful, and, and yet a certain amount of the project simply must come to you, must be received in whatever way. Mm. Uh, and in uh, a way not questioned. No, trusted, if it comes to you like trusted, that, if it yeah. comes to you like that, you, you trust it, yeah. yeah. And, and, but Maud, I, I, I didn't quite know who, who was, was, was going to move between these right. uh, little islands of, that I had. Um, and that ending was there, and as I got closer to it, I just wriggled, you know, thinking, can I avoid this ending, which I can, you know, I just don't know how I'm going to do you, it. Yeah. Do you mean, do you mean yeah. that the, the, the ending, there was a part of the ending in that initial... Yes, yes, oh, right. yes, all okay. that, oh, well, that, yeah, that, I mean, that kind of, that was where there, it is right. and, and what it is right. was, came. Oof. Oh, fascinating. So, right. um, and my editor knew this, because this book is a slightly mad book. I mean, when I told my editor about this at the beginning, we were having, we had a little dinner out, and, and, and she's quite, a, she's a scholarly and quite quiet sort of person, and, and um, thoughtful and, you know, full of, sort of, she's a presence. Um, I'm no longer completely afraid of her, but I'm, I'm slightly afraid of her. Um, and, and I sort of said, Carol, this is, this is what I'm thinking of doing, and I said, and, and, and then as I finished it, you know, I thought, that just sounds mad. It sounds like the maddest sort of thing you could do. And she was still just cutting a piece of asparagus or something, you know. And, and I sort of looked down like I'd said something, you know, like I you know, said something embarrassing and, and foolish. And, and, uh, and the next day I sort of uh, emailed her and said, I'm sorry about that, Carol. You know, clearly that's a mad idea and so on. And she wrote back saying, I think you can do it. Um, and she was... She likes us. She likes us, her writers, to be slightly uncomfortable, I think. Mm. She likes it when she thinks we're just a bit Un out of our... You know. Uncomfortable with what you've taken yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think she likes that feeling I that we're a, a bit lost. I think that's yeah. a good discomfort. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you should feel like that. You should feel mm. as if you've taken on something that's too much. Yeah, I think something. so. I think so. Always, always you want that feeling that maybe uh, this is more than you can do. Of course, the risk of that is that maybe one time it is going to be more than you can do. And, and with this book particularly, more than any other book, yeah. I felt that many times. And I kept sort of saying or sending her stuff, actually, in the hope that she would write back saying, you're right, actually, yeah, don't it. do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and the is last this... thing she said to me was, 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 was about that last section when I was really almost begging her to let me stop. Um, and she just said, uh, oh, they'll follow the words, she said. It's like a sort of that's a great zen thing moment. To say. Like a that's, like a, thought, that's a great thing to say. I just kind of shut up then and thought, yeah, okay, I'll go home and finish this book, come what may. You know, that's great. Idea. I went home and did it. Yeah. Because, because we had a brief email uh, back and forwards before, before mm. this, a few days mm. ago, and 
And, and you described, you said, there was a sentence that struck me. You said with this book, you felt you were cutting loose. Yeah. Those were the words you used. Yeah. Is, is that what you meant? You, more than ever before, you felt you were doing something really quite unusual and risky. Is that what you meant? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I've, I've, as I said, I've always tried to feel that mm. what I'm doing is, is, uh, is something that I'm, you know, is going to... Because you want to go to the, to the edge of what you, you, you perhaps feel you can do, and then the interesting bit is, is, is what's beyond that. I think physically, people who do, you know, people who run triathlons and so on, or, or, or do, you know, know that mm. there's actually that, there's that extra bit, that when, when things, the really interesting stuff happens, mm. uh, and that everybody has it, and we don't quite know until we get to, the, to that point. Um, I mean, with Pure, the book before, I'd, I'd, I'd won this big prize, so I felt like I had sort of, you know, I had a free shot to some extent, that maybe this, I was gonna really take a, Big risks. Did, this that was, um, did that complicate things? It the did. Fact that it Pure did. had done so well. Yeah, it yeah. did a little bit. I mean, well, two. One, it gave me sort of confidence and so a certain kind of freedom. I was fairly sure they were going to publish this thing. Yeah. Um, at the same time, because a prize is all about reception, it's all about the end of the process. It's all about that. About. Mm. Um, it's quite difficult then to get back to where you need, yeah. which is you alone, lost in a room. You know, um, which is where you need to be, not. Sitting, standing around, sipping, you know, sparkling thank, thank wine. Thank God I haven't won any prizes. I'm sure you have. I think you should, could you read a little bit? Yeah, read a little bit. Before we go yeah. to questions. I, I think we've got 15 minutes left, so okay. perhaps if you, I'd love you to read a bit. Okay, so, read a little because bit. Because as I yeah. say, the sentences are, I mean, I love Andrew's writing, and I think you should just, if you don't know it, you should hear a bit. Yeah, it's just a little short bit. Um, All my markers. Uh, these little markers, yeah. None yeah. of which I've used. Yes, yes. I know, it's, it goes like that, doesn't it? And I, I'll just, just read a couple of pages from a section I haven't read from before, so I hope it'll be okay. Um, yeah, it's... it's um, Maud goes on this... She's a sailor. Uh, and, and, um, and if you hate sailing and don't think about sailing, don't worry, that it's, it's actually unimportant in that sense. Um, I hope, uh, uh, yeah, you, you, you'll, you'll get it. Um, she makes a journey. We've crossed the Atlantic. Um, she's made landfall, but the boat is in a disastrous condition, and so is she, actually. Um, there's been a huge storm. Everything's a bit sort of uh, uh, smashed up, and she makes landfall, and this is just the, I'll give you a couple of pages of the very beginnings, the new section, and it's, it's, this is just, um, other side of the world now. This is the beginning of the section you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, but we'll just give you a mm. couple of pages so you... you uh, um, so she's, yeah, the boat, she's just climbed off the boat and walked, walked ashore. Uh, she climbs the scarp, red rock and shadow. She's not steady on her feet. The land has no give in it, cannot be trodden upon as the sea could. At the top, she sits to catch her breath. In 15 minutes, she has walked further than she has in weeks. The air is warm, the moon rising out of the sea with a face of finely meshed gold, a soft and intricate moon, but bright enough for her to make out a landscape of bare grey trees, darker bushes, the suggestion of low hills in the distance. With the binoculars, she scans for a light, perhaps the one she saw from the boat, but there is nothing, and nothing to tell her the direction she should take. No path, no signs, only the scarf and the grey trees, the moon creeping out of the sea. She decides to keep to the coast if she can, and as the way looks slightly clearer in one direction than the other, she turns left, south, and walks the fringe of open ground 
at the top of the scarp until the trees press her to the edge and she is forced to turn inland. The moon is higher now, and in its light the tops of the grey trees have become silver, the ground below them bare, dark, uneven. Often she has to shift her route where the scrub rises up in a black fence directly ahead of her, and once brushing against the edge of one of these thickets, she feels something slice the skin of her arm with ease of a razor. After this, she is more careful. She hears the singing of insects, though the place where she is moving is always quieter, the singing always at a distance. She is landsick, heavy on her feet, but keeps up a steady pace, her shadow crossing bones of moonlight, then lost for a moment in something darker than herself, then out into moonlight again. She startles a bird. It passes close in front of her face with an angry beating of wings, and she stumbles backwards, loses her balance, and falls. When she gets up, she's unsure of her bearings. Which way is the coast? Which way was she headed? She digs out the compass from her pack. The luminous tip of the needle wavers delicately. She finds herself, heads off again, swimming between the silver trees, following paths more imagined than real, the trees and the light laying themselves down in patterns on her brain, a game of minimal differences, a kaleidoscope of moonlit branches that ends with such abruptness she teeters and rocks on her heels as if at the edge of a precipice. In fact, she's standing at the edge of a road, or of not a road, than a track of packed earth, but certainly wide enough to take a car. She finds her torch, shines it both ways, then shines it by her feet, looking for tire prints, and thinks she can see some, though it's hard to be sure. Again, she must decide on her direction. Again, she chooses left. On the track, she goes more quickly, feels safer, more certain of finding help, and soon. Either side of her is the same scrub and bare tree she walked through from the scarp, but ahead of her, surely, even if she has to walk all night, there'll be a farm, a settlement, the edge of a city, perhaps, and she pictures herself, she's half asleep in the monotony, the rhythm of her walking, passing suburban gardens, silent roundabouts, traffic lights signaling to no one. The moon is overhead now, its light pixelating the air, the uncertain distance. She pauses to drink some of her water, to eat some of the raisins, then puts the pack on and sets off, last woman on earth, first woman on earth, her shadow rippling over the dust on the track, her feet in her trainers making a dull sound, a soft sound, surprisingly soft. Another hour of this, then another, burrowing into the silence of the night, the night's outrageous amplitude, her nose full of the scent of whatever is growing at the side of the track. Slowly, or she's slow to notice it, the land to her right is altering. The silver trees are thinning out. Then they've gone entirely, and in their place there are palm trees, very tall, gently curved, their heads sparked with moonlight, the ground below them splashed with each tree's starburst of shadow. She wanders into the midst of them. It's difficult not to. Are they coconut palms or some other kind? Does someone harvest them? They do not look to have grown randomly, but stand in rows. She takes out her torch again, shines it around her, the beam breaking on the trunks of the trees. When she puts it off, she's blind. She considers letting off a flare. She has two in her bag, and someone might see. Instead, she squats at the base of the nearest tree. The air is still warm. The blood thuds in her head and seems to mimic the beat of her walking. She drinks some water, then lies down, pillowing her head on the pack. The ground smells like a spice, but when she shuts her eyes, it is the sea that appears to her, grey, green-grey, and endless. She sleeps dreamlessly, the fronds high above her, sometimes making a noise like rain, though no rain falls.
I love that. Um, I love that first woman on earth, last woman on earth, first woman on earth. Yeah. Um, we've, we've got some time for questions. We've got about 10 minutes. Um, if any of you want to ask the terrifying Andrew Miller. Oh, suddenly, hands went up. The very lady yeah. here, right at the... Oh, there we are. You come, come, come down to you. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, I was very interested in what you were talking about, this idea of being sort of superstitious about things that you write about coming true. Mm. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your feelings of the relationship between writing and mental health. Wow, Sorry, okay. that's just uh, casually, yeah. you know, casually. <laughs> writing and mental health. Um, what, mine or people's? Um, anyone's. Um, yes, are writers mad? Um, uh, it's interesting. I think writers actually are among, although there's, you know, the, the, the list of writers who have sort of shot themselves or jumped out of windows or, or uh, uh, generally just sort of drunk themselves to death um, is long. And, and there is, we think of poetry particularly. I mean, poets are mad. Um, you know, the, the, the confessionals and so on. There was a definite, um, you know, Anne Sexton and people. There's a kind of strong Lowell, all these kind of, uh, uh, this, this was a, a a well understood and, 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 and exploited sort of aspect of, of their work um, and, and very moving aspect of their work. Um, I think the fact that writers, novelists anyway, fiction writers, uh, fiction writers, uh, that they straddle all these voices um, and in a sense know themselves to be legion, you know, know themselves to be inhabited by all these different voices is a kind of uh, sanity. <laughs> I think what is crazy is, is to imagine we are unitary and, 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 and fixed. <laughs> I think the moment uh, you can let go of that um, uh, and just let the voices play out and sing out and see that we are inhabited and, and or just sort of blown through. Um, you know, we are, uh, I, I never think of the skin as much of a barrier, really. And, and uh, so I, I like to, I, I like to imagine that this actually is a rather healthy thing. Um, uh, um, as I say, clearly there are lots of writers who have perhaps come to writing um, out of, you know, impelled by uh, a kind of uh, suffering that, that we might think of as, as, as mental illness. Um, but writing is a therapy and of course, it has been, you know, people use it. I mean, it is, it is, it is handed out to people as, as a therapy in certain settings. Um, it's not something I've ever uh, considered it. What I do, I never think of as being in any way therapeutic. It's, my writing is never aimed at me. I, I, what, what, is, what is of me is, I mean, I, I use, I am my own first resource, so I, I, you know, I use whatever, I just ransack my own life, um, uh, both what is wholesome and less so, uh, for, for the work. Um, I certainly never have any sense of uh, trying to fix myself up um, in, that, in that way, uh, which may not be what you meant at all, but, but anyway, we touched on some of it. <laughs> Thank you. There's a lady just here at the, at the, in, the in, the, in the blue here. In the, at the pale uh, blue. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the value of letters to you as a writer, mm. and now that the letter form is dead, what do you envisage happening in the future? <laughs> I envisage resuscitating it in a miraculous fashion. Um, 
Yeah, is it dead? Yes, you're right. It, it's, I mean, just mentioned Robert Lowell. I've, I've, got, um, I've got a wonderful collection of Robert Lowell's letters, many to Elizabeth Bishop, and, 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 uh, uh, and to, but just to many friends. And, and the way they would just kind of knock these things out, that they have a lovely informality to them. At the same time, they're also trying out lines. You can see them absolutely, that things that actually end up later on, in, perhaps in a poem. Um, it's, yeah, and, and emails, well, as we know, emails do hang around, and which gets lots of sort of, you know, politicians and people into, into trouble. Um, but it's, um, it's not quite the same, I suppose. Um, or perhaps it's not wildly different. Um, I write occasional letters. I like to feel that it's not entirely gone, but you're probably right. It has more or less gone. And, and I think we are... I mean, when was the last time anybody here had something through the letterbox that had, you know, handwriting on the front of it? You perhaps you think you often, perhaps, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I like to feel that maybe, yeah, there are letter writers among you uh, and letter receivers among you. Um, I get very excited when I when I see one. A I started letter. writing yeah. postcards yeah. to someone recently. It's a nice thing yeah. to do. Yeah, postcards are perhaps, yeah, yeah they're sort of. Because it's a, a beautiful yeah, little yeah, snapshot yeah. Of, of the moment where yeah, you are. That's right. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, some, uh, thank you. I was wondering what the reasons might be behind using a woman's voice to express the emotions of the situation in this book. Yeah. What is that about? Um, um, I suppose. I mean, originally, I, well, I'll tell you, originally I thought it was a man at the center of this book. And I went on with that thought for a while. And then, perhaps because it, it is in some ways a book about parents and children and parenting, I just thought, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's actually a woman and a mother who's at the center. And that that would be the kind of cultural reason, apart from anything else, would be more powerful. Um, uh, men are perhaps, there's less expectation on them sort of behaving uh, or, or uh, emoting or showing kind of certain sorts of emotional response that maybe no, we expect more mm. from women. We expect to be guided perhaps by women's emotions in a way. I think men often do that. They, they look to women to give them the, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know, the, the, the right sort of chord <laughs> emotionally. For a, for a situation, particularly in, you know, an intense one. Um, perhaps because men are less confident of their, of their emotions. Uh, or, so there's something of that, although Maud, of course, is not a fine example of, of uh, a, a woman who uh, is kind of confident with her emotions. Um, she's not particularly, uh, I mean, maybe she, I, I wonder if you, if you look at her, if you, if you read the book, whether you'll feel she is a particularly male did you did you feel did she strike you? anyone who perhaps feel that you didn't feel that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. That's great. Yes. 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 
Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. That's that's great to hear. And, and I guess I wanted, yeah, I wanted that because I like restraint anyway. I like, I, I often have characters who have uh, quite a lot of emotional And she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, try and get that stuff right. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, I mean, I certainly as a writer feel like uh, we shouldn't uh, not write about the other sex or that, I mean, I wrote one book in which they're just Japanese characters. There are no <laughs> Western characters. Well, there are two, but the, all the central characters are Japanese. Mm -hmm. And I did get some flack for uh, that. People saying, well, yeah, hang on, but you're not Japanese. Um, and I'm thinking, well, so what? You know, uh, let's travel out. Let's see. Let's see how this, how this goes. And I think writers, you know, you might not pull it off. You might not pull it off. But don't feel like you have to just stay with someone a bit like you <laughs> all the time. Which is fine. Some writers whoever do that. that is. Some writers do whoever that is. Yeah, it's a very good point. But some writers uh, do do that. In fact, it's a, it's a, in, in Japanese writing, it's very much a tradition of the I novel, um, very autobiographical. Mm. Oe Kenzaburo Oe, someone like that. You know, very much writing very close to his own life, um, indistinguishable in some ways from autobiography. But it's um, and which can be fantastic in its own way. But I like to I like to explore. Writing is a tool of curiosity. I like to go out there and see what we might know. Also, yeah. don't you feel yeah. as if, um, I mean, I get, get asked this question a lot as mm. well, you know, because I've written as a woman, the last book was as a woman, the, one, the next one's going to be as a woman. Um, they say, well, is that difficult for you? And I say, well, it, actually, it's easier to write as these particular women than it would be to write as certain men. In other words, there mm, are men mm, I have mm, less mm, in common mm, with, mm, you know, than, yeah, than women, yeah, yeah, certain, yeah. certain women. So it's, it's sort of, it's not quite as simple as man and woman, I don't think. That's right. And I think it's, it's a kind of fundamental article of faith for writers that we have more in common than that which separates us mm. out. I think you wouldn't feel you could actually uh, uh, go on if, if you felt that others were so unknowable and remote mm. uh, that you could never find a way, something in you that connects to uh, uh, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful place to stop, I think, actually. Thank you. Um, yes, sorry, Patrick's holding yeah. like... <laughs> no, but I, th that was perfect. Uh, that was completely, completely yeah. what I dreamt it would be and more. Um, uh, put your hands together for Andrew. Please. Who's just well, Andrew, Andrew, but yeah. thank you very Everyone, much. Thank you very much.